You're listening to NBS Cast with hosts Rachel Edwards and Brayton Hines. Welcome back to NBS Cast. I'm your host, Rachel, and we've got our co host, Brayton, on today again. Say hey, Brayton. Hey, everyone. Good to have you on. I'm really excited because we have another great topic around leadership to talk about today, and we have a very special guest. We have Angela on with us. How are you doing today, Angela? Doing great. Thanks, Rachel. Well, I'm really excited to chat with you about our topic today, which we'll get into in just a second. But first, we want to get to know you a little bit better. So if you can tell us your full name, Angela, uh, your job title or your role here at NBS, where you're from, and how long you have been with Nelnet, that would be great. Yeah. So my name is Angela Nielsen, and I am the Director of Product Strategy at Nelnet Payment Services. And I have been with NBS for 13 and a half years. Wonderful. And can you also tell us where you're from so we can get to know yeah. you that way? Yeah, I'm from Nebraska, mm-hmm. um, from primarily Lincoln, Nebraska, but I currently live in Omaha. All right. I'm from Lincoln too, Angela. I'm living here right now going to UNL. Uh, do you have family here or what brings you to Lincoln? Yeah, so I grew up in Lincoln, and um, my mother and my sister still live in Lincoln. Anybody who knows me knows I'm incredibly close with them. Mm-hmm. Um, however, about almost ooh, almost three years ago, my husband and I moved to Omaha mm-hmm. so he could attend school there at Creighton. So I went to UNL, uh, Brayton, but uh, nice. he chose to go to Creighton, and so we moved to ooh. Omaha uh, yeah, in March of 2021. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So Angela, tell us a little bit about what you enjoy doing in your free time. Yeah. So again, if anybody knows me really well, they know that I have um, a number of pets. Mm -hmm. Um, So at home, it is my husband, Bryce and I and our three mighty fur pets. So um, Penny is our 13 year old uh, cat with one fang, no hearing and a lot of sass. Um, (laughs) And then uh, Torch is our six year old um, rescue mix that we've had for about six years. And then just a couple of months ago, we welcomed a five-year-old greyhound into our house named Ooh. Peaches. And so, um, yeah, in my free time, I like to spend a lot of time with them. My husband and I like to cook. And then I've had a fun little renaissance of hobbies um, come back <laughs> lately where um, I started um, taking German classes again Mm. to kind of get my German skills up and going and joined a German singing choir. I've been crocheting a lot again. And um, Rachel, you know, I'm a sucker for book clubs too. Mm. (laughs) Sure do. (laughs) I'm in an online book club. I'm in the NBS book club. That's right. Um, (laughs) So yes, so lots of reading and we read books in German in the German class. And then the book club I'm on is an online community um, that reads a lot of historical nonfiction and we get to meet with the authors, which is really neat. Mm -hmm. Yes, we've talked about that before. It sounds like a real fun time. And I know also, Angela, you're part of the German language group here at NBS as well. So you are just speaking German all over the place. I am. Yeah, that's a really fun group um, for anybody who can speak German. (laughs) Um, 
or who wants to learn German as well. You don't have to be fluent. <laughs> yeah, we have a new a new member here that's that's kind of in that place right now. Mm-hmm. So we're we're a fun crowd to come join. Love that. Sounds like you got a lot of interesting hobbies, Angela. That's impressive. <laughs> and That's uh, our last guest actually submitted their picture with uh, with their dog. So mm-hmm. if you wanted to submit a picture with all your dogs, I'm sure we'd love to see it. That's right. Um, so you're here today <laughs> to... Sorry, what was that? I said I'd probably be overrun. I, <laughs> I don't know if I could get them all still. <laughs> Our our last guest had the same problem with just one pet. She sent us a great outtake photo of her trying to get a good picture. So that was pretty fun to see. But today's topic is all about uh, leading without authority, pretty much just empowering those who aren't in necessarily leadership positions, but do kind of have uh, authority whether they think they do or not. Angela, could you tell us what exactly this means to you, what leading without authority means? Yeah, so (laughs) this one was a little harder to to answer than I thought it was going to be because Mm -hmm. at its essence, leading without authority is just that, Mm -hmm. right? Um, However, what I... When I was thinking about this, I was thinking, well, it's really about making improvements or making progress Mm. when you don't have formal authority of maybe the people, the processes or the resources that are needed to make that change happen. Mm. And then on the flip side, I was thinking that it's probably a little bit more important to talk about what leading without authority is not. Mm. Yes, please. (laughs) (laughs) which is, it's not about how to sneak people into getting your way. You know, it's not Mm -hmm. about, you know, manipulation or, Mm -hmm. you know, different tactics to get people to just see things your way. Um, It really is about uh, how you can find skills within yourself to kind of rally the troops to make things better for everyone. Mm. I really like that definition. I think it helps put that into perspective because you hear this overarching concept of leading without authority and you have to kind of sit back and think, I don't really understand what that means. Don't I have to have authority to lead? So thank you for unpacking that for us. Could you also maybe give an example or two, uh, maybe something from your career or maybe even another project or maybe even a passion in or personal interest that you've had where you've had to lead without that formal authority and what that has looked like for you personally? Yeah, I have to laugh because any person in the product team um, probably would say that this is their their life. Um, there are jokes <laughs> out there in the product world that say like with great uh, power comes no responsibility. <laughs> oh no! Wait, wait, wait! No, no, no! Hold, let me flip that around. It's so with great responsibility comes no power. Um, sorry, <laughs> but um, the you know when you're trying to take all of the ideas that people have to make improvements in our software, you're dependent on almost everyone in the organization to help make that 
make that change come to fruition, right? Mm. You have to work with IT and development teams to, to build the technology to make the improvement. Then you're really dependent upon the operational teams to put that into motion and to make it go, come alive. Mm. Um, I think a lot of when we integrated the SIS system and the enterprise system to mm. create premier integration, there were a lot of different teams that weren't necessarily under the same um, authoritative umbrella um, that we had to work with. We had two very different development teams at that point in time. We had to work with the operations team. We had to work with marketing, sales. You know, everyone had to come together to make this happen. And there was really no, you know, place for anyone on my team to say, well, this is what we're doing and this is the way it's going to be. Mm, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, Another good example that I was thinking of was even just that I've seen for parent applicant services, right? They want to provide the best customer service they can to families and to students. So mm-hmm. they're the team that helps answer questions about my bill, my payment plan, my grant and aid application. So they might need maybe better information from schools to be able to provide better information to the payers and the applicants. Mm -hmm. Well, they might lean on the account management team to get that information, or maybe they need a change in the system to make the technology a little bit more user-friendly for a specific flow. Well, then they're going to rely on product and IT teams. And so what you really see, and I think what the way work just is today is that there's very few things that happen in a vertical Mm -hmm. and you are usually dependent upon cross-functional teams in order to get almost anything done today. And that is where, you know, having that savvy of how to navigate that, you know, vertical, horizontal, and even diagonal Mm. (laughs) um, sphere a little bit to help, you know, understand what you need to, you know, who is impacted and and who needs to be involved in order to move a specific initiative forward. Mm. Um, One of the things that, um, that I think about with this is, you know, authority is is useful, right? Every once in a while you need authority. Sometimes somebody has to make a decision, a direction has to be set, you know, someone's got to steer the ship a little bit. Um, But with little tasks and even with a lot of initiatives, just authority alone is not really going to give you the best output that Mm. you want. Mm. And so, you know, you, you really need more than just authority in order to accomplish many things. Mm Yeah, I mean, to me, based on what you're describing here, you gave some really great examples of what this looks like in practice in different areas that might have that same kind of like application. So I hear a lot of relationship building is something that needs to happen to be able to lead without authority. So uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but do you feel like there are other kind of important factors uh, to establishing yourself as that leader without formal authority? You hit the nail on the head there, Rachel. It, mm-hmm. it really does boil down to relationships, but mm-hmm. there are some factors that help you get there. Um, 
the first one I would say is awareness, right? Mm-hmm. Being aware of, you know, what, you know, maybe what the, a goal is or what a good improvement would be if it's something that you're seeing a need for or a problem that you see could be solved. You know, opening your eyes up to that awareness from your perspective and then also go the next layer. Okay, well, who else is impacted Mm -hmm. by this pain point or is touching this process? And you start to kind of get your head around that sort of, what I was saying, that horizontal Mm -hmm. or maybe even that diagonal impact. And then you have to, you know, think about, okay, here are these other people, like who is it? that is going to be impacted and just start thinking about, you know, if there is a problem you're trying to solve, maybe you think, oh, why do we do things this way, right? The first thing that you need to do is be aware of kind of what the core of the issue is and who is all touching that. And then always assume positive intent, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Um, Never never want to think that people are doing things the way that we're doing things to make things difficult, mm-hmm. right? Um, we talk about this a lot. Nobody comes to work today to try to make everything worse, right? <laughs> <laughs> One hopes not, that's for sure. <laughs> right. So, you know, always assuming that, you know, hey, the processes we put in place, that was done for a reason, Based on information we had at one point in time, you know, we felt that this was the best thing we can do. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, not judging that situation, maybe that team, maybe that process, but really being more aware of it mm-hmm. and then starting that the empathy and the learning process. Right. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you know how you are impacted by things, but how are others impacted by things? Right. Mm-hmm. So what you know, maybe this process is put in place because of how somebody's measured, right? Mm. Or maybe because of certain stresses that those teams are under. Um, Understanding what success looks like for people outside of your position is really important. You know, do you really understand the impact? And if you don't, have you listened or have you tried to learn? Like, have you really actually tried to listen and learn? Mm -hmm. Um, Rather than kind of putting your idea of how things could get better. And that kind of gets you into the next step. And Rachel, I know you've read um, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People (laughs) in the Career Passport Uh book club. Yes, yes, you're (laughs) Um, correct. Then you get into that next factor, and that's a concept that Stephen Covey talks about in that book, which is the Mm win-win, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And one of my favorite um, concepts from another book called Influencing Without Authority is, you know, within that empathize and within creating that win-win, you kind of have to gauge that relationship, and you have to understand where are you? Um, with those people in the relationship. And the more you learn and the more you listen to people, Mm -hmm. the higher you're going to get on the scale. And I love the scale. Um, It goes from resentment Mm. to co-elevation. And so on the lower end of this, well, in the center, you have coexistence, Mm -hmm. right? It's like, you know, my my cat and my dog, they coexist. (laughs) They do not love each other, but they tolerate each other, Mm -hmm. right? Are they accomplishing a lot together? No. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> with the new dog, you know, Penny is probably at a negative two on the on the scale of five. She's at resentment, <laughs> right? Sure. Um, and when she's now she's into res- she was at resentment to get re- you know start with where she actively is just wants nothing to do with this person. And again, mm. think about it. you're not going to get any any headway if there's resentment. Mm-hmm. Um, so on the lower scale, it's you know negative one is resistance, negative two is resentment, and then on the positive side plus one, you have collaboration. And I think we tend to think of collaboration as like the apex, but at the top of the scale, you have Mm co-elevation where both people are actually benefiting more uh, because of the relationship and because of that that give and take and that trust that they build. Mm. So creating that win-win is super important. And, you know, one of the things that when the SIS team was going through um, transformation of how they were doing their work, we had a trainer come in and he said something that I just love and I've stolen it for the last (laughs) probably four or five years, which is none of us are smarter than all of us. Mm, Right. mm -hmm. And I think that's really where some of that relationship building in that core and that you have to have that belief in that, that none of us are smarter than all of us um, to really start, leading without authority, because you do have to, you know, really, it's more about the listening rather than you figuring everything out and telling people how things are going to be done. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that concept that you brought up of co-elevation. I think you're right. I, when I'm considering working with other people and having influence, collaboration is definitely high on the list. But when you are working to actively elevate others, and then you have that kind of reciprocation, yeah, that is definitely the the highest point or the apex, like you said, of the process. So thanks for bringing that up. I think that's a great point to make. I really like, too, how you kind of touch on the emotional side of mm-hmm. leadership and how that can impact uh, both sides of the equation, essentially, and how important it really is to establishing a, a good you know, relationship with those leaders. What One thing I'm curious about um, – and something that I think would be valuable intel to share for our listeners. But what are some things to kind of look look out for to make sure um, if you're taking up a position of leadership with or without authority that you're keeping uh, respect and dignity at the top of your mind in terms of respecting those who you might be, um, you know, instructing or delegating tasks to with this kind of emergent uh, leadership? Yeah, I think the biggest thing is that sort of keeping that open mind, right? Mm -hmm. Watch out for your blind spots Mm -hmm. um, and be honest about maybe where you are in that relationship level. You might be in a situation where you're working with someone and you're not at the co-elevation level with them. Mm -hmm. um, But knowing where you are is really important because you can work towards improving that um, and building that trust and you've got to be open to kind of diagnosing, you know, what is what is happening here? Like, what is the resistance? Is there something that I'm not understanding again um, of their motives or what's really important to this person? You know, maybe isn't what's important to me. Mm. And also understanding that there are going to be trade-offs, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Like I said, leading without authority is not figuring out how to get your way. Um, it it is something where you need to know that there are going to be trade-offs 
And, you know, last but not least, Brain, if you know that you're not being genuine, then you're just, you're not, you can't fake that. So you, there's no way that you're going to be able to truly be leading without authority if you're feeling you have to force something. So then going back and doing that introspection and kind of diagnosing, you know, where that, where that maybe lies is, is really key to, to making sure that you kind of get away from pitfalls there. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And Angela, I know you're a reader, so I'm hearing, I'm picking up on some Adam Grant in there with give and take <laughs> and, and things like that, which I, I think is a perfect example or an application of this. But I, I want to pause on the first thing you said, talk about blind spots. We have to be aware of our blind spots. I know it can be hard for a lot of us to be aware of those blind spots blind spots because they're blind to us, right? We're we're blind to them. So what are some ways that you might encourage people to discover what their blind spot might be and work on that? I think the biggest thing is even just writing down some of your assumptions, mm. right? Um and then really sitting with them and challenging them and maybe seeing if there's a way that you can learn more about how you can really validate that assumption. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so some of the things that you tend to just say are imperatives that are blockers or mm-hmm. you know problems, you know, mm-hmm. well, why, and is that really true? And, you know, why do you even think that that's a problem? Mm-hmm. Is it something where you've just kind of you're frustrated and you just kind of gave up because he said, Oh, this is the wall I walked into. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, and and really just kind of evaluating that saying, okay, well, is that a problem? Mm -hmm. And and there might be things that are legitimate blockers, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, in my world, we run into that from a regulatory standpoint all the time, but really kind of saying, okay, well, is this, really a, you know, a place where we have to stop? Or is there a way we can still get some, you know, get that trade off Mm -hmm. to make some kind of improvement, even though we have this limitation, Mm. um, will still allow you to make things better, Mm. you know, for usually for us, it's our customers and, um, and their experiences. Mm Mm-hmm. Great advice. I, I like the idea of examining your language and looking at maybe those uh, areas where it's inflexible, you know, even examining specific words like always or never or things like that. If you tend to to deal in absolutes like that, it's important to think about, do I really need to phrase it this way? Do you always do X or do you never, never do X? Is it important to eradicate those things from my language? And yes, I think it's very important to do that. So thanks for sharing that, Angela. Yeah. Or even with people like Rachel is this, Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) which I probably am. So, (laughs) but yeah, I totally agree. yeah. And, you know, well, no, go talk to Rachel, maybe mm-hmm. ask her some questions. Be like, Hey, I'm curious about this process or, Hey, tell me about how this works when you're putting together mm-hmm. a career passport or something mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good example. Have you seen any uh, circumstances where people were facing challenges on either side, um, either leaders or people taking instruction from these, um, leaders without authority, we'll call them. Has has there been any circumstances where you've seen them face big challenges or maybe you face challenges like that in your own role? And how were those challenges overcome? 
Yeah, I mean the challenges are inevitable, right? Mm-hmm. This is a, this is a this is a process, and communication is hard, right? Um, as we've talked about, this comes down to relationships and mm-hmm. communication and learning and trust. And I would say, oftentimes, when there is a breakdown, it's because one or both sides aren't really fully understanding uh, the needs of the other the other side. And so I think the biggest challenges I've seen it are just in coordinating a lot of people. Sometimes you do have those blind spots on even, oh, we didn't realize this would have an impact on this team mm. or, um, oh, you know, we didn't think about you know, this process that happens. And so um, I think that it's really just more about that digging and that learning and that communication. And then the other thing that sometimes causes challenges is when you don't have the trust again, mm-hmm. you don't have that positive, the the trust that there is positive intent mm-hmm. in something. And that can oftentimes create, create challenges in, in different projects. Mm-hmm. So Angela, specifically with the, the trust issue that you're bringing up here. What are a couple of ways that people might go about building trust that there isn't ill intent behind what they want to do or want to change? What are some things they can do to help mitigate that? Um, that's the the discussion and the, con- and the learning, right? Mm. So oftentimes, you know, when you're working on a project at the beginning, things are really, really fuzzy and you're People aren't necessarily always sure, like, well, what do you really want? Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> you can kind of lay it down on the line, say at the high level, this is really what we want to do. But really kind of in those conversations and in the in uncovering, and you know, what do you think? Or mm. what are your thoughts? Or, hey, well, we went and talked to these people and this is the feedback we're hearing so that, you know, you know why it is that we are communicating this to you um, is really the best the best mm-hmm. way to build that trust is, is through continuing that relationship and 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 showing up right yeah <laughs> <laughs> showing up having the conversation and also you know showing that your mind can be changed mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. when people come up with a good idea again, none of us is smarter than all of us. Mm-hmm. So if we're, if we're showing that we're always willing to pick up the thing that is going to make the best sense for the, for the project, you know, if depending on who the, the end user is right in our case, it's okay. Is this providing customer value? Is it being done in a way that our system is going to be able to maintain resiliency and integrity? Um, you know, we're not going to sacrifice all of, either for, for one or the other, right? Our goal is customer value, but you need to make sure that you listen to the folks on your on your team so that you also come out with a product that they're proud of as well. So Angela, we've been talking about specific skills that you can help build to become a leader, even if you don't have formal authority. So those things like relationship building and building trust with people and working on your listening skills and doing things like asking why or even continuous learning options, whether it's learning about the people and the teams you're working with or other continuous learning options. Are there any other skills 
or uh, things that people can look to work on if they want to show their ability to lead without specifically leading people? Yeah. Um, in one of the books that I read um, called Influencing Without a Th- or Influence Without Authority, mm-hmm. uh, they actually talk about this where I think there was a resident or somebody who saw um, the supply chain you know, issue and they kind of, again, sort of talked to some people, hey, you know, is this a problem for you too? And yeah, and I also have this problem, that problem, the other thing. Mm. And, you know, even though neither of them were a leader, you know, they kind of voiced this desire to improve a process, right? Mm. It didn't take away from their day-to-day job necessarily, right? Because you still, we all still have a job to do. Mm -hmm. But if we, if you start working on improving things or even voicing that like, hey, you know, I noticed this, um, I would like to maybe, you know, dig into this a little bit more, or is there any kind of group that I can, you know, get together, be a part of to help make progress in this area? Well, you start to be seen as somebody who can who can really make progress in a number of different ways, even though you don't have mm. a formal leadership role. Um, I've always thought that you can always you can be a leader no matter what your position is, mm-hmm. and it has to oftentimes do with that genuine desire to make improvements, and usually those improvements align with you know, improving the business or improving our culture, for example. Mm. So even if there's something that, you know, listeners, you know, are curious about, I think that's one of the first things that they can do is maybe even start by reading the information available to them to learn a little bit about different teams to start maybe identifying or becoming aware of some of those places where there's opportunity to be a leader. Mm. Um, So, you know, oh, I'm not really sure what that group over there does. Maybe I'd like to learn a little bit more about them or, you know, join uh, a a group with um, people from across the organization. Like Mm. you mentioned my German group Mm -hmm. earlier, right? We've got people from K-12 operations. We've got people from higher ed IT. Mm. You've got me from MPS. And it's just a way for you to get to know people and kind of hear a little bit about what's going on in their world. And I think that just helps give you that um, context and that network, you know, to start making those relationships. Mm Excellent examples. I'll throw one more in there. (laughs) ARGs would be another great way to network with other people from not only different areas of NBS, but Nelnet proper as well. So if you're looking for opportunities to explore just to build that network and start seeing where you might be able to find some leadership ability without the formal authority, ARGs are a great place too. Yeah. And, you know, Rachel, I know you were involved in things like the culture quest, right? Mm -hmm. Those were, those ideas were all people who, you know, weren't necessarily managers, nor were they necessarily even people services, Mm -hmm. but they were able to lead initiatives that helped improve, you know, benefits and other, other, um, offerings that, mm-hmm. that our company provides to their associates. Yeah, absolutely. What a, another great example, Angela. So I'm sure at this point in the podcast episode, our listeners are eager for ways to find out how they can, uh, how they can start to be leaders without authority in their own roles. 
I'm curious, Angela. This is our last question, I promise. What's <laughs> one last what's one thing you would recommend that listeners do or stop doing today to try and pursue and find uh opportunities to lead without authority? I think the big key is in engagement, right? Mm-hmm. We talked about that kind of first step is awareness. And we just talked about a whole bunch of ways that you can engage. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, even like taking a time to maybe make a, a small list of things and then start really going through the exercise of, you know, hey, what, how would this help and who would it help? And then kind of get that buy-in. And, you know, depending on where you are in the organization, you can even engage your leader and say, hey, I kind of have a passion around this. And I think it would help us be in, you know, A, B, and C way. And then start learning a little bit about who it is that you need to engage in order to make the improvements that you've identified. Mm. I could not agree with you more, Angela. You said one of my favorite words, engage. (laughs) I pumped my fist in the air like Bender at the end of the (laughs) breakfast club. I was so excited to hear you say that. (laughs) So yes, I couldn't agree more. Engaging, whether that's engaging through programs or engaging through activities, or again, just engaging with those different questions and talking to people, building your network. I I think that's a great piece of advice to get started with this leader uh, leading without authority journey. So thank you so much, Angela. Well, well, I was going to say too, and it's almost more important now that so many of us are remote, right? Um, Mm -hmm. We don't, it used to be, oh, you just walk into the next suite or you'd go downstairs and you'd get to, to talk to people. But I mean, we're still just an I am away, just the way that your team is. And so I think, um, just being aware of that as well Mm -hmm. is that people are still available uh, to network with, even though we're not, you know, going into the, to the break room together. Yeah. Excellent point. So use your resources. I love that. People are just an Mm -hmm. I am away. So Angela, thank you so much for coming on the show today to talk about this topic. I feel like we could talk about it for a lot longer, but we'll, we'll definitely wrap up here. But if, you know, people have more questions about this topic, I would strongly encourage you reach out to Angela. She is a wonderful resource on this topic and reach out to us too, if you'd like to just talk more about it as well, me, Brayton, whoever, uh, but love the, the topic. So thanks again, Angela, for talking to us about it. Thanks, Rachel. Thanks, Brayden. Well, Angela, thanks again for coming on the show today to talk about leading without authority. We had a great discussion, and I'm sure our listeners found it very fascinating. And now it's time to do our segment. So I'm going to turn things over to my co-host, Brayton. Brayton's the one in charge when it comes to segments. What are we talking Mm -hmm. about today, Brayton? Yeah, Rachel, today we were just talking all about wellness. So uh, physical and mental health, pretty much, and uh, trying to figure out what are some best practices surrounding wellness? Um, it's a topic that is talked about a lot nowadays and for good reason, you know, uh, mental mm-hmm. and physical health and wellness kind of impact every aspect of your life. So uh, I'll kick it off with the first question here. Rachel, where can I go to learn about wellness, whether I'm looking to improve my mental or my physical health? Yeah, I'm going to talk about some Nelnet resources that are available. So uh, for 
Across the board, I think Virgin Pulse is a great place to go for any of these solutions that you might be looking for to improve your mental and physical health. Virgin Pulse has great information in their journey section, and that is definitely geared toward mental and physical health and improving that on both sides. So take a look at the journeys. I think those are an underutilized resource out there. Plus, you get points for any journey that you take, which Mm -hmm. is awesome. (laughs) Um, So I love Virgin Pulse for those kinds of things. Also, specifically on the mental side, the employee assistance program is another very underutilized resource. Um, I think people just kind of forget it's there, which is understandable because with mental health, we often don't think about it until we really need to make a change or we need to do something. So uh, the employee assistance program gives the opportunity, one, to have up to five free counseling sessions per year for any individual associate, which is awesome. And they can counsel you on a variety of different needs or topics. So it's not uh, just kind of the standard things that you think of when you're thinking of mental health. If you just want some coaching to get through a specific situation in your life, or if you want more help, uh, maybe you've done your five sessions and you feel like, man, I could really benefit from some continued counseling. They can help connect you with someone local. And there are also, I believe, discounts associated with that. So I think those are two really underutilized resources when it comes to mental and physical health. Um, One little thing I'll tack on to that too. From the physical side, uh, via Virgin Pulse as well, there are tons of classes that are available to us as associates, and they're all virtual. Uh, There are different kinds of classes. Like I believe there was a Tabata class going on for a while. There's a Zumba class. I think there's been yoga classes that are available to you to take at some point uh, during your workday, like on your lunch break or on another break. So I would definitely strongly recommend any of our associates to check out those resources as well via Virgin Pulse. But what about outside of Nelnet and NBS, Brayton? What are some things that you look to when you're looking to learn more about wellness or improve your mental and physical health? Well, first thing, I, I really want to emphasize that point about the the counseling service that mm-hmm. NBS offers uh, internally to its associates. I think that's really awesome. And the fact that it's th- uh, free compared to other alternatives such as actual therapy or online therapy, which is obviously costing you some some big dollars. I think it's really awesome that um, the company really emphasizes our mental health like that. But then also, I don't think you mentioned this about Virgin Pulse, but it is, there are monetary benefits. So mm. I know we all like free money, but uh, <laughs> if you want an extra $100 a quarter or whatever it is, um, I'd say hop on that Virgin Pulse grind. But for me, finding out about wellness, fitness, uh, mental health is all about Honestly, just the the typical resources are the ones I'm going to mention. So, you know, YouTube has a lot of good stuff uh, like TikTok or Instagram Reels. If you're if you're more that kind of a person, uh, you can actually just search up on there things that you that you're curious about or want to know more about, or maybe workout plans. You can just search into those. So, the internet in general, and then for me, uh, I know I talk about ChatGPT a lot, but um, <laughs> ChatGPT is a big resource for me, whether I'm going to make a workout plan or going to make a, a meal plan for my week. Um, going on ChatGPT just to get a start there and then and then adapting my workout plans as, as needed, uh, that's a really big resource for me and one that I honestly use like every time I go to the gym. So I, I'm a big advocate for that. Um, next question I have, uh, how can I, how can we make effective wellness goals 
whether it's mental or physical wellness, and then stick to them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, goal setting that's can the be hard tricky. Part. It is the hard part. I fully agree. So I think wellness goals are just like any other goals. They need to be achievable. I am. I really like the SMART goal framework for setting mm-hmm. any kind of goal. Yep. Um, so each letter of SMART stands for something like S is specific, M is measurable, A is attainable. So you need to make sure that when you are considering the different kinds of goals that you have, put them through some kind of framework. It doesn't have to be the SMART framework, but A lot of our goal setting is in these large chunks, like I want to lose a very significant amount of weight or I want to, you know, I want to run a marathon. Those are huge, huge goals. It's really important to break those down into smaller pieces and make those pieces achievable milestones so you can look back and see your progress. So don't try to break off way too much or more than you can chew at the very beginning because we all start motivated and then that is what eventually demotivates us in the end is if our goal is too far in the future or if it's too big to see any uh, immediate progress or rewards, we need to reevaluate. <clears throat> so I think that's important. And then I think another thing sticking to it is Accountability is a huge piece of any goal, specifically Mm -hmm. wellness, though. So if you're trying to do it on your own, then the only person that holds you accountable is yourself. And unfortunately, that isn't necessarily the best accountability system is just relying on yourself. (laughs) So I would definitely recommend that when you are ready to set those wellness goals for what you want to achieve, Tell trusted family, friends, colleagues, anyone who, again, you trust. This is really important. <laughs> mm-hmm. You don't, you don't want to just kind of throw that out into the ether necessarily. Mm-hmm. But make sure that you are sharing those with others that you care about and that care about you so they can lovingly come back to you and say, hey, you said you had this goal for your wellness this year. How are you doing with that goal? Is there anything I can do to help? Uh, that I think is probably the most important part when it comes to achieving and sticking to those goals. What do you think, Brayton? What are some things that work for you? Yeah, uh, you really hit the nail on the head there with the SMART goals point. I think Mm -hmm. one thing to be emphasized with that is the, um, I forget which letter it is, but basically making your goal, uh, tying it, tying a number to it in some way or, um, uh, help me explain this here, Rachel. I'm I'm struggling, but um, <laughs> it's the measurement piece, right? Yes, the measure, uh, the M in smart, measurable. So finding goals that are measurable. A uh, big thing in the in the uh, fitness world is is people having uh, what's called body dysmorphia because you can't mm. physically tell that you're making progress uh, day by day, but over over time, you know, you're making that progress. It's just not noticeable to you. So setting those measurable goals whether it's measurable, um, talking about your mental health or measurable, um, things like in the gym, you can tell like you're moving up in a weight or you're getting faster in, in your running speeds or something like that. I think measurable is mm-hmm. a big aspect of setting those smart goals and staying motivated with them. Uh, otherwise a big thing for me is kind of planning out my, um, planning out my day and incorporating those, uh, mental and physical kind of times in my day. So if it's a, 
around, uh, you know, working out, it's I'm going to sit down in the morning and, and write down my workout and say, I'm going to do this at this time in the day, instead of saying, Oh, I'm going to work out seven times this week and it's going to be great. And I'm going to feel so good about myself. (laughs) Instead, I would say, tell yourself what you're going to do and when you're going to do it. And, and then tell others, you know, that accountability aspect that you talked about, Rachel, tell others what you're going to do, you know, whether it's a a significant other, a roommate or just a friend, you know, tell them, um, and, and even, and even make them a part of it, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, that's a big, that's a big thing too. Yeah, I think the when is just as important as the what. So like you said, you can tell yourself, I'm going to work out seven times this week, every day. And then, okay, great. When are you going to build that into your day to make sure you Mm -hmm. get it done? Because I tell you what, 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock comes a lot faster than you think. Mm -hmm. And by that time, you're ready to go to bed and you might not have gotten your workout in by the end of the day. Yep. And even if it means waking up a little bit earlier, I know that's really (laughs) hard to do. That's really hard Uh, to do. But uh And for me too, setting reminders is a big aspect. Uh, whether I'm putting it in my Google Calendar, just setting an alarm, I know once that reminder hits, I might not feel like it, but it's going to give me that accountability um, aspect to it. Mm-hmm. I love that. Our next question, Rachel, what, is, what are some wellness practices that you find useful? Yeah, I, I think one that I find the most useful for me is routine. So Mm -hmm. when I find an activity that I like to do, I need to build that into my daily routine to make sure that it gets done. So I really like walking. And that's been a pretty recent discovery for me. I would say within the last couple of years, I've discovered I just I like going on walks. And so I like that. But even though I know I like it, (laughs) sometimes if I'm on a roll, I'm, I'm working on something or I'm, I'm doing something for myself, I don't want to stop and take mm-hmm. that walk. So if I build it into my routine, I know exactly when I'm going to do it. And I just know my brain has that transition and says, it's time to do this. This is when you do this on a regular basis. So routine is super helpful. I used to be the person who I don't want a routine. I don't want to be bound by, <laughs> you know, this uh, arbitrary thing that I've set out for myself. But I've I've really discovered routine is key when it comes to making sure that I get my walks in every day. So I think that's really helpful. Uh, and this is another one. Um, if they're I know for me, I I like sugar and sugar is obviously not the greatest, <laughs> <You and me. laughs> right? I mean, most people love sugar. So yep. uh, a thing that I try to stick to for myself is I, I don't want to just say I'm never going to eat sugar because that's unrealistic. But mm-hmm. in my own home, I've made the decision that I'm not really going to buy sugary things. So I don't have easy access to them. Um, Mm -hmm. If I'm out, you know, with family, with friends at someone's house, then that's a different story. But in my own home, which where that's where I am most of my day, I work from home. If I don't have access to it, I'm not going to eat it. So (laughs) I find that Mm -hmm. those, those two things are really helpful for me when I want to pay attention to my physical activity and when I want to pay attention to what I'm eating. So what are some things that you do on a regular basis to keep that wellness in the forefront? Well, I find it funny that you say not having sugar in the house is a big part of it because that's something I do too now. Um, There was a few years once I got into college when I was just buying anything and we actually had like a 
a convenience store in our dorm. So I definitely wasn't eating the greatest, but I'm somebody who kind of grew up with like not many like sugary foods in the house. You know, my mom's really healthy. And mm-hmm. and uh, <laughs> when I got to college, I was like, oh, I can have like a box of Frosted Flakes in a day and nobody <laughs> can say anything about it. But nowadays I kind of get a little older and kind of have to be more intentional about stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but some wellness practices I find useful. Uh, we kind of touched on it previously, but don't go at it alone. You know, mm-hmm. it it can seem like a really long journey and a hard path to to achieve your smart goals or whatever you set out to do um, in the realm of wellness if you're doing it alone. But I have realized that whether you're going on a walk with like a friend, let's say, or going to the gym with with your roommate, or even if it's your dog, you know, Mm -hmm. going on a walk with your dog, I'm sure you uh, frequently do that, Rachel. (laughs) But I, I think that's a huge thing for me and a huge thing for others. You're inspired more. You're held to more accountability if you're doing with somebody else. I think that's a really big one, really good tip. Uh, and then the next one, just um, it's actually kind of uh, sounds confusing, but going and working out and going on walks or whatever, however you like to get your workouts in for your mental health. I think they're mm-hmm. a lot more tied than people like to think, but. For me, when I'm uh, working out really consistently and and just being active in general, it really has a positive impact on my mental health too. And um, I think if you're listening to this part of the podcast um, and trying to get tips more so for your mental health and your physical health, this is one that can really positively impact both. So mm-hmm. I would say um, whether you have to go out of your way to, to get some activity into your day or... Um, you're just looking for a way to improve your mental health. I would say, yeah, working out is going to help you. I go to the gym and I am able to relax and feel good about myself. And then that kind of lasts throughout the day as well. You know, you feel more sense Mm -hmm. of accomplishment after, you know, going on a walk in the morning. And then I find it makes me more productive. It makes me have a longer social battery. And Mm -hmm. there's just so many positive impacts you can find um, um, from being active, you know, working out and then and then also having a good diet too. I think that's uh-huh. one uh, really useful part of it is you can you can go to the gym every day, but if you're, like you said, coming home and, and eating a bunch of sugar, that'll slow you down and that'll make you feel worse. And uh, you really just want to treat your body kindly and then it, your, your mind will reciprocate as well. So mm-hmm. um, those are just some tips I have for uh, for good wellness practices and things that I do. All right, Rachel, my last question for you here. I'm curious, what's uh, one thing wellness related that you're excited to go back and do after the, after talking about this on the podcast or you won't maybe want to start uh, doing in your life? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I uh, for me, I was really into Zumba for a while. Um, I think it was like six months ago, maybe a little bit longer. I was doing it every day over my lunch break. And then Mm. I don't remember why I stopped, but I just wasn't doing it anymore. So I would love to go back to that and 
get back into doing Zumba or some kind of dance workout over my mm-hmm. lunch break in addition to my walking. Um, I just noticed my legs were stronger when I was doing that. Mm-hmm. And so I, I I feel like I've lost a little bit of, you know, muscle mass or muscle capacity. And I want to build that back up uh, and build up a little more stamina too. So I think that's what I'm most looking forward to is getting back into some Zumba or dance style workouts over the lunch hour. Uh, what about you, Brayton? Yeah, uh, for me, it's so I hate doing cardio and I'm sure a lot of people can relate. <laughs> and uh, I guess hate doing cardio in the traditional sense of getting on the treadmill or, uh-huh. you know, doing some stationary bike workouts in the gym or something. But mm. uh, with the turn of the seasons, you know, we're getting into spring and it's getting nicer out. There's a couple things that I love to do outside for cardio that don't necessarily feel like it. Yeah. And number one is going on bike rides uh, around the city. You know, there's a lot of great bike paths in Lincoln. If you live in Lincoln and are listening to the podcast, I urge you to check out either the uh, Mopac Trail or the mm-hmm. Antelope Valley Trail that kind of goes uh, right next to campus in downtown. But yeah, I love going, getting outside and going on bike rides. And that's one of them that you can really just do with other people, which makes it a lot better. You know, most, most people have a bike. Um, so I would say going, going on bike rides. And then number two, it's somewhat of a lost art nowadays, but rollerblading. (laughs) I'm a big Uh, rollerblader. Go back to the nineties. I love it. Yep. Yep. I get a lot of, I get a lot of crap about it, but I love (laughs) to rollerblade and those same trails that I bike on, I'll rollerblade for miles and miles. Mm. Um, I did have a friend that I would go rollerblading with frequently, but he's now graduated and moved to, uh, Omaha. So unfortunately I kind of got to go alone nowadays, (laughs) but (laughs) with the spring coming up, I'm excited to get back into rollerblading and, and like, that's one that you can't really do, uh, during the, during the winter and colder Mm -hmm. months. But, uh, so I'm excited to get back out there and be doing some unorthodox cardio. (laughs) I love that. I love that. Rollerblading is coming back. So I don't care what anybody says. It's (laughs) it's coming back. (laughs) Yep. Well, this has been a great conversation on just different wellness tips, tricks, thoughts. So thanks, Brayton, for coming up with this segment. And again, thanks to Angela for coming on the show and talking about leading without authority. Uh, Again, it was a great discussion and we hope that uh, you all enjoyed it as well. So Make sure to keep listening. We we love our listeners. And as always, we're going to catch you in the next episode.